Hello and welcome to the Mind Springs podcast with me, Alastair Appleton. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you'd like to find out more about us, then visit mind-springs.org. I do want to just draw a parallel with uh, Buddhist thinking, because I, I noticed when I started meditating, I was a real Buddhist Nazi. I was really like, right, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to meditate for like six days, and I'm not going to move, and... Anybody who moves is a loser, and I've got to... Uh, and I, had this, I brought this very competitive and very unkind mindset to my meditation. And through various... Uh, well, actually through friends just going, oh, God, you've got to stop, you're just unbearable. And, and also gentle teachers pointing it out to me and some adventures in shamanism. I recognized that this, this, was not, this is not Buddhism and this is not meditation. This is, in fact, dissociation. And those of you who are familiar with Rob Nairn, who's taught very many times here in this centre, he very famously said to a whole room of very... Meditators have been meditating for many years, of high pedigree, saying, you think you've been meditating these few decades, but actually you've just been sitting here dissociating. Much to everyone's horror. Um, and I think there's, there's something in that. It's very easy to use meditation as another form of negative dissociation. We use it to... Oh, thank you. I've actually got some water here. Yeah, thank you. Um, we use it as a way of, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to push all my negative thoughts out of the way and I'm going to shave off all my desire and I'm going to get rid of all my kind of chattering voices and I'm going to get rid of all the pain in my body and I'm going to just sit really still and I'm going to sit in this slither of existence that's kind of God, it's really difficult. Why is it so difficult? The reason is it's so difficult because we're dissociating. We're cutting ourselves off from all the things that would make it easy, like breathing, being in the body, feeling the flow of emotions, allowing ourselves to actually be humans. And this, um, this comes back to the, the Buddhist no notion, and I want to get too technical, but this notion of avidya, of what they call ignorance. Now, ignorance is a can be a problematic translation, but it's in some way it's a good word because it's, it's what we ignore. It's all the parts of ourselves that we ignore, all the streams of experience that we shut our eyes to, shut our experience to. This is the, the issue of avidya, of, of, of ignorance, moha. We, we just ignore people who we don't like. We just ignore things that just don't interest us. It's a sort of almost an aggressive form of, uh, ig of ignoring. Uh, the, the wonderful um, American psychologist from the 50s, Harry Stacks Sull Sullivan, calls it selective inattention that covers the world like a tent. It's like we, we selectively, kind of in, on, a, on some level, intelligently frame out anything that doesn't fit in with our image of ourselves. And this corresponds to, in Buddhist psychology, the fifth skanda. So, I won't get too technical, but the, the, the way that our self-image arises um, comes from a whole chain of events. And the last one, translated as consciousness or vinyanya, is, is the way that our mind kind of shaves off all the things that contradicts our ego. 
So all the bits of our experience that sort of undermine our story about being such and such a person and being really good or being a really bad person and never having, you know, you know it depends what our story is. Sometimes our ego ideal is all positive, sometimes it's all negative. But there's this very clever sort of scalpel-like uh, thing called consciousness that kind of frames out all the things that contradict our story. And this, I think, is, is the equivalent of dissociation. It's a sort of very intelligent way of simplifying the story, but also, if we, if we take it too far, it robs us from all our vitality, because we're shutting the door, shaving off, we're greying out all the parts of our life that actually could shake us up, or change our lives, or knock us off course, or make us something different. Um, it's a way of keeping ourselves very, very safe, which was good when we were children, but now we're adults, we don't need to be so self. We can embrace uh, change, we can embrace loss and gain, all the, all the winds of, of fortune. So this, this notion of too much dissociation, I think, plays into uh, meditation when we're typically, and you can see it when people meditate and they're just rock solid. They don't move. They've perfected the skill of totally shutting down their body and the, the natural movement of their body and shutting down their minds so they don't tolerate anything that challenges uh, their idea of themselves as a perfect Buddhist or a perfect meditator. And this is profoundly, ironically, profoundly un-Buddhist. This is profoundly unmeditative, because you're locked into an idea of ego that almost all meditation is trying to get rid of. We're trying to loosen the ego and soften and dissolve the ego so we can connect and feel more alive and feel more free. So I just wanted to, to end with um, a little uh, overview of you know, how this can play out personally, how it can play out interpersonally in our relationships, how it can play out culturally and socially, and how it plays out globally as well, and also spiritually. And I'll be very brief. Um, I've, I've spoken a little about how it works individually. You know, we shave off bits of our experience in order to kind of prop up a, an idea of ourselves that we think is going to be successful in the world. And then this really affects our relationships. If we're in a relationship with our children, or with our partner, or with our parents, or with a teacher, we can really get caught up in this. Because we dissociate bits of ourselves that we don't think that they'd like. We go to our teacher and we, we pretend that we're terribly pious, and that we're, we're really good, and we don't have any bad thoughts. And of course, teachers see straight through, spiritual teachers see straight through this, they're like, Where's the rest of you? Just come with this tiny slither of yourself. Where's the bit of you that hates? Where's the bit of you that loves and lusts? Where's the bit of you that's alive? And in a lesser way, or a more complicated way, this also happens in our personal relationships. We sort of like, well, you know, my partner doesn't like it when I'm angry, so I'm just going to not be angry. But of course, I do get angry. So how does it come out? It comes out in passive aggression. We don't. We dissociate our anger, but our partner really feels it. Just as my client would have felt my revenge for attacking me. Another example of that playing out with my partner Daniel is that we went to dinner with friends of mine and uh, fairly early on in our relationship, and uh, I came out 
I, mean, I, thought, I thought I'd had a really nice evening and I'd been very witty and everyone had laughed and da da da. And we came out into the car and he sort of looked at me and he went, Do you think I'm stupid? I was like, no, Not at all, you know, I love you. He goes, Because you really talk to me as if I'm stupid in front of other people. And this was horrifying to my sense of self, my sense of being a loving partner and being kind and compassionate and a Buddhist teacher. But again, as that breaking glass, psh, I totally recognized that it was absolutely true. Because this is how my family dealt with each other at the dinner table. We never were angry at each other, but we would tease one another and we would gang up on one another and we'd make jokes about each other at, in front of that other person. And I realized that unconsciously I'd been doing that uh, with Daniel. And it took his bravery and... Um, perspicacity to actually be able to go to take a risk and reflect it back to me and for me to be in a, enough of a place where I could accept it and this is why relationships are great because you can't discover your second head until someone points it out to you but it has to be someone you trust enough that you believe that they're not just giving you an extra head for the kicks and then very briefly, we can also talk about uh, cultural dissociation. This is, uh, you know, you can think of this very broadly. You know, for hundreds of years, uh, American citizens, indeed English citizens, British citizens, uh, dissociated the life of black people by perpetuating slavery. They lived in a civilized way and completely dissociated the right to life and freedom of their black fellow brethren. Similarly, you can look at some of the scandals that happen in society. Jimmy Savile, you know, all through the 70s, the sort of casual abuse of women, casual abuse, you know, it was just dissociated. Oh, that's just what happens. It's a dirty old man. And it took, you know, 20, 30 years and you know, that horrible scandal for us to wake up. It was, again, it was the sound of collective breaking glass. Sort of like, oh. You can see the same thing happening in the sexual harassment, uh, the Me Too campaign at the moment. Suddenly people waking up from a, from a dissociative sleep where it's okay that women get paid less to do the same job. It's crazy. But it's a sort of cultural dissociation, a social dissociation of things that we kind of know are there. It's not like anyone's pretending it wasn't happening. Sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't that people didn't know it was happening. It's just we chose not to lift the rock up to the surface of the water. And then finally, there are, um, there are, if you could call them global or spiritual examples of dissociation. And the most obvious is the fact that we are all going to die. And we do not put that into the center of our thoughts. We dissociate it as a huge human race, as a great Kurt Vonnegut um, novella where he the aliens that are flying over the planet Earth, and they're like, it's crazy. They only live for like 80 years, and they all think they're going to live forever. Like every single one of them thinks they're not going to die. It's like a huge spiritual dissociation. Uh, global warming is another, you know, the death of the planet. Another kind of act of vast dissociative fugue state of the whole human race. And from a Buddhist point of view, um, 
certainly in this tradition, in the Adriana tradition, the greatest of all dissociations is the forgetting that we are already Buddhas, that we are already enlightened, that we have dissociated the enlightened part of our being and we live in this tiny slither of dissociative, distracting, self-deluding uh, busyness, busying ourselves on the hamster wheel of samsara, what they call a samsaric wheel. So deluding ourselves and distracting ourselves to death and missing the pot of gold under our own feet that we are actually already enlightened, all of us, and that the whole of this world is a kind of Buddha field. So uh, at this level, the end of distraction, the end of dissociation is enlightenment. So when we finally let go of the sense of shaving ourselves off from that very, very, very vast picture of ourselves, then uh, the, you could say that the, the, the end of dissociation is the beginning of enlightenment. That's very grand. <laughs> um, and I think that's perhaps you know, that's the topic of some Vajra masters rather than this talk. But I, I, do, I do think that being aware of how we grey ourselves out, the image I often use is of a, of a computer where you're, I don't know if you remember, when you're, when you're kind of looking at the drop-down menus on a computer and like there's only two that are black and those are the only two that you can work, but you really want the grey ones that you can't actually, and you, oh, oh, damn, they're kind of greyed out. And this is the, this is the image of, of dissociation, there's, there's all this kind of potential in our life that's sort of greyed out by habitual dissociation and that working uh, by connecting, by using kind of somatic meditation, forms of practice that connect us with our body, that connect us with other people, that free us from the rigidity of, of dissociative um, stillness and holding. These are paths that we can start to reduce the high water of dissocia dissociation and come back to a state of being alive, being free, and most importantly, being connected to one another and to, and to the planet. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again for more podcasts from MindSprings. You can find out more about us and our work at mind-springs.org That's mind-springs.org